For the rest of you, I would encourage you to just keep your Bible open to Psalm 100. I trust this week for you has been a rich week filled with rich food and rich relationships. And my hope and prayer, I trust, if you are in Christ in particular this morning, you have known a depth and a richness of gratitude that frankly is hard to quantify. You can't even get it out of your mouth, really. But it's there, isn't it? And my thought this morning is some of you are worn out. Some of you took your son to the airport this morning at 3 a.m. Some of you spent a lot of time with a lot of people in your home and you are weary. And I want to just pull over this morning and take a break from the book of Acts. We're going to enjoy a psalm of thanksgiving together. I know a number of people are out of town as well and I, I didn't want to press through the remainder of Acts chapter 4. So we're going to take on this five-verse psalm. I've got a short psalm for you and a simple sentence this morning that I'm going to give you. We're going to build it out together. Let's read again Psalm 100. Make a loud shout to Yahweh, all the earth. Serve Yahweh with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that Yahweh, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For Yahweh is good. His loving kindness endures forever and his faithfulness generation unto generation. It is fitting to give time this morning to thinking about thanksgiving. And I don't mean just the holiday, but more in particular, about the giving of thanks. Are you somebody who gives thanks? You can look at the superscription to this psalm. It says, serve Yahweh with gladness. It's a psalm of thanksgiving. It is the only psalm in the Psalter that is labeled as such, and it is a call to give thanks. It's not the only psalm that gives thanks in the Psalter, but the only one that is specifically appointed as a psalm of thanksgiving. And we're going to break this all down by building out a succinct summary sentence, one single sentence, and in this sentence, we'll find four principles for giving thanks. So you might just write it at the top of your note card as we build it out. Let's begin our sentence this way. We, that's the subject, give, that's the verb, thanks, that's the direct object, we Give thanks. You said, I thought you were going to get a rest. No grammar this morning. Okay, fine. We just give thanks. That's what God's people do. And that's not the end of the sentence. It's not that simple. But it begins with this simple observation that I think is easily overlooked, that thanks, frankly, is not something that exists in the heart. Thanks is something that begins in the heart but is expressed out of the mouth. It is something that is declared. 
It is something we express. It's something we give. The psalmist refers to it, if you flip over to Psalm 116, as a sacrifice of thanksgiving. It is a sacrifice of thanksgiving. It's a verbal offering, if you want to think of it that way. Look at Psalm 116 and verse 12. What shall I, note this, what shall I give to Yahweh, to the Lord, in return for all of his bountiful dealings with me? I shall lift up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of Yahweh. I shall pay my vows to Yahweh. Oh, may it be in the presence of all his people. Skip down to verse 17. To you I shall offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving and call upon the name of Yahweh. I shall pay my vows to Yahweh. Oh, that it may be in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of Yahweh, in the midst of you, O Jerusalem, praise Yah, which is short for Yahweh or the Lord. Do you see that all of that is verbal? All of that is public. All of that is something that the psalmist wanted to offer up to God as a thank you in front of the people of God. This is not a private matter. In other words, the giving of thanks is gratitude vocalized. Now you can vocalize it quietly in your own prayer time, but the point is that it's something more than just a general sense in your gut of being kind of grateful for some things. Gratitude is an attitude of the heart, but in and of itself is not technically thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is something you do. Turn over to the book of Luke. You can keep your finger in Psalm 100, but we'll look at Luke 17 just briefly. It's a short passage. We find a group of lepers who are desiring to be healed. We'll pick it up in verse 11, Luke 17, 11. And it happened that while he, Jesus, was on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing through Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, 10 leprous men who stood at a distance met him. And they raised their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And it happened that as they were going, they were cleansed. Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God, note this, with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at his feet and giving thanks to him, and he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered and said, were there not ten cleansed? But the nine... Where are they? Was no one found who turned back to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, stand up and go. Your faith has saved you. And he goes on from there. Let me ask you, how many of those lepers were grateful for their cleansing? How many of them gave thanks for their cleansing? R.C. Sproul comments on this, and it's, I'll just read it to you. He says, Jesus' encounter with the ten lepers illustrates the importance of thanksgiving. 
Countless sermons have been preached about the healing of the 10 lepers focused on the theme of gratitude. The thrust of many of these sermons has been that Jesus healed 10 lepers, but that only one of them was grateful. The only polite response to such preaching is to call it what it is, nonsense. It's inconceivable that a leper enduring the abject misery he faced daily in the ancient world would not be grateful for receiving instant healing from the dreadful disease. The issue of the story is not one of gratitude, but of thanksgiving. It is one thing to feel grateful. It is another thing to express it. Lepers were cut off from family and friends. Instant cleansing meant release from exile. We can imagine them deliriously happy, rushing home to embrace their wives and children, to announce their healing. Who would not be grateful? But only one of them postponed his return home and took time to give thanks. The account in Luke 17 reads, then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks, end quote. And so that's the point. Thanks is something, and there are other points in that episode in our Lord's life to be made, but the main point for our purposes this morning is to understand this, that thanksgiving is something more than gratitude. It's something that's given. It's something that's vocalized. The gratitude in the heart must find its, its exit out the mouth. Now, back in Psalm 100, did you realize how loud this psalm is? It's a loud psalm. Make a loud shout to Yahweh. All the earth. This isn't one person being beckoned to sort of whimper up uh, an an expression of gratitude to God. Uh, this, This is all the earth being beckoned to come before Yahweh with a loud shout, to serve him with gladness and to come before him with joyful songs. Not the minor key. This is an audible psalm. This this is a resounding psalm marked by exuberance and joy. You can hear it. And David starts by issuing three commandments, three imperatives. There are a total of seven of them in this psalm. And let's look at these first three. Notice that these are commands. They are not optional. They're not requests. They're not a take it or leave it sort of thing. No, this is David making a clarion call to shout and to serve and to come to the Lord with joyful songs. The first command is to shout. And it's a word that was used in the ancient world for a shout of praise and acclamation. We just used that in a hymn we just sung. When a king entered into the presence of his people, and I, I, I have just recently watched a documentary on North Korea. I don't know if you've seen it or not, but somebody got in there with a camera and Kim Jong-un walks into an arena filled with thousands and thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of North Koreans, and instantaneously they stand and they begin to applaud, and they applaud for 10, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, until until Kim Jong-un, the supreme leader, tells them to stop. This is nothing like that. All of that is coerced. 
All of that is forced. It's feigned. It's, it's the result of intimidation and a fear of retribution. There will be that kind of praise, that sort of stunted because we have to kind of praise when every knee will bow, the scriptures say, and every tongue will confess many people against their own will that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But what David is calling us to is a spontaneous standing ovation from the heart toward our God. It was used, this word, in ancient times of a battle cry, Joshua 6.10. It was used of shouting in triumph over our enemies, Zephaniah 3.14. It is used in Job 38.7 of the angelic hosts shouting for joy at the creation of the world. This shout is consistent with a glad heart of those who know the king and they worship the king. It is, if you will, a pressure relief valve. The Christian cannot help but be bursting forward with this kind of thing. This is the overflow of gladness. It is spontaneous combustion of the Christian heart that is aflame with love and gratitude to the Lord for all that he is and all that he has done in blessing us. Beloved, there is nothing that is worse. There there is no greater contradiction in terms than a, a grouchy, grumbling, complaining, apathetic Christian. How much time we spend talking about what we don't have and how quick we are, how, how frail we are to, to, to draw back into apathy and kind of a grumbling heart when all is not going well. Listen, we've been blessed, have we not? Beyond measure. Oh, we are to come before the Lord with a loud shout. Secondly, there's another imperative. He says we ought to serve the Lord with gladness. In other words, your words should express your gratitude, but so should the, the eagerness of your heart to jump in wherever there is need for service. And it can be used of any kind of service, but the idea in, in the Bible is that, that this word refers to people who are eager to gladly give of themselves to the Lord. Drew my mind to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, that great text about the impoverished Macedonian church when Paul was trying to drum up support. This church had no money. This church was super poor. Listen to these words. Now, brothers, we make known to you, he writes to the Corinthians, the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great testing by affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty abounded to the richness of their generosity. In other words, they were poor, but they were, they were spilling over with money for those who were in, in Jerusalem. He says, for I testify to you that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much entreaty for the grace of sharing in the ministry of the saints. And this, not as we had expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. 
See, it didn't matter that they didn't have much. What they had, they were eager to give because they were so grateful to God. Turn over with me to Romans chapter 12. Many of you are familiar with this passage. Romans 12 and verse 1. Paul writes, therefore I exhort you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a sacrifice, living, holy, and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. There's only one right response to all of God's goodness to you, and that is to offer up yourself as a living and holy sacrifice. You place you on the altar at God's service. He says it's the only reasonable response of worship to all of that. And then down in the, the verses below, look down in verse, uh, look at verse 7. If he's speaking about spiritual gifts here, and he, he's urging them forward. He says, look, if you're, in, if you're gifted to serve, well, he says, then, then, then go for it in your serving. And he says, are you one who teaches? Well, then be eager in your teaching. Or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives, do it with generosity. He who leads, do it diligently. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. And he says these words, let love be without hypocrisy. Don't play act at this stuff. Christ in the heart, the spirit of God in the heart, true gratitude in the heart will result in an overflowing of both our words in gratitude and our eagerness to serve Christ in any way needed that we can meet. That's what gladness means. When he says serve the Lord with gladness, he means there should be a zeal, eager earnestness, a joy, a determination to expend yourself in the worship of God. You see, and all of that is born, beloved, with, with an overwhelming sense of God's worthiness and your own unworthiness. That God has been so good to one who is so undeserving, I just am compelled, there's nothing else I can do but give my life to him. And then he gives us a third imperative. He says, come before him with joyful singing. We, we are to come before him. This describes the gathering of the people of God to worship in song. God's people are singing people. And there is a jubilation of the heart and you can hear that jubilation in the voice, which is why we're always urging you, sing, sing with gusto, let it out, put away that that formal voice, put away that, that sort of inside voice, put away that kind of whispering deal. Let it out. You say, I'm, I don't carry a tune. I don't care. Neither does anybody else. God gave you the voice he gave you and the ear he gave you, and you sing out a tune, fine. Just be loud about it and sincere. That's the point. You say, wait a minute, I, I don't feel like coming before him this morning with joyful singing. And I would say to you, beloved, listen, there is a time to mourn with those who mourn. That is right. And there is a time when the heart is sorrowful. And there is a, a time, Ecclesiastes 3 says, to keep silent. 
But here's the point. It's the consistent mark, the regular mark, the, the typical mark of God's people. We are a joyful people. Again, that sort of miserable, gloomy, uh, this is a grind sort of life. What does that say about the God whom you serve? You see, we are, we are a joyful people. There is a song in our hearts, or there should be. And there should be one in our mouths. And so a joyful disposition results in a joyful declaration. And if you belong to Christ, you cannot hold your tongue. Remember, we're making the point right now that praise, thanksgiving, is something that must be expressed. It's an attitude of the heart that becomes verbalized joyfully. Now, look down at verse 4 of Psalm 100. There's a parallel thought. He says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. We get three more imperatives. Enter, give thanks, and bless. And this is parallel. In verse 1, it said we should shout and serve and sing. And now as worshipers, we, we enter and we what? Express our gratitude and our praise and our blessing to God. And this is the call of God upon you as an individual, and it is the call of God upon us as a people. This is what we do together. Colossians 1, 11 and 12, we are told to be joyously giving thanks to the Father. Colossians 2, 7, overflowing with gratitude. Colossians 4, 2, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Ephesians 5, 20, always giving thanks for all things in the name of of the Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 4, 6, it is with thanksgiving that we let our requests be made known to God. And 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 and 18, pray without ceasing in everything, give thanks. For this is God's will for you. It doesn't get any plainer than that, does it? This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Friends, I just cherry-picked some passages, some verses about gratitude. This is, this is what comes out of the church. Lord, thank you. This is what David is getting at. We are the people of God who enter into the presence of God with shouts of joy, with exuberance, and, and, and the happiness of, of children who are thankful for the goodness of their parents. You can hear the, the volume of this psalm, can't you? You can sense the gladness of heart. David is earnest and he is eagerly calling us to these things. There is nothing here that's false, nothing that is fake. There's none of that dead formalism. There is uh, none of that I wish I were somewhere else sort of mentality. This is a summons to wholehearted worship from the whole man. Well, let's continue with our summary sentence. We give thanks. That's where we started. We give thanks, and that brief statement begs to go somewhere. It's like an email sitting in your outbox. 
It's there, but you need to send it. And, and so we're going to build this psalm. It's obvious, so obvious what we're about to add that, that you might think th- this doesn't need to be made, but it does need to be made. And that is not only do we give thanks, but secondly, we give thanks to God. We give thanks to the Lord. Did you know how often the Lord's name is invoked in this psalm. Look at it with me again. Make a loud shout to Yahweh, to the Lord, all the earth. Serve Yahweh with gladness. There it is again. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that Yahweh, he is God, and it is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. And you can go through the whole psalm and you will not find one stanza that does not mention his name or the pronoun that represents his name. Now let's think about this for a moment. Simple as it is, we give thanks to God. Gratitude is an inward attitude. It's something that exists at the heart level and it must be there. The Lord wants us to worship what? The Father seeks those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. He doesn't want a show. He doesn't want a hypocritical uh, game. He wants wants truth at the innermost being. He doesn't want you to declare his praise with your lips but have your heart far from him. So we have to begin here. It's with the heart, which means that you have to have an awareness of some things. It begins with an awareness, number one, that you're unworthy, you see that pride will diminish your gratitude? If you generally are not a thankful person, if you're given more to grumbling than to gratitude, I'll tell you what the problem is. It's this. It's a high-mindedness that thinks all that I have, all that's been given to me, all that's been done for me, well, I deserve it. It begins with an awareness and a recognition that you do not deserve anything. And then secondly, you've got to recognize that you've been blessed. That entitlement mentality that is just like, it's like oxygen in our culture. It's just everywhere, people breathing it in. Gratitude begins with this sincere acknowledgement in the heart that we're unworthy and that God has been good in giving us what we don't deserve. There are two types of people in this world. There are the take-for-granted people, and then there are the receive-with-gratitude people. Where are you? Which one are you? A take-for-granted person or a receive-with-gratitude person? You see, the world and the ungodly are marked by the former. They are the take-for-granted people. Romans 1.20 tells us that even though they, they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or give thanks. They're truth suppressors. And they won't face the fact of their own depravity, and they will not face the fact that God is the giver of all good things. So they breathe God's air, and they eat God's food, And they enjoy God's world, but they thank him not. 
And this is, this is why it's so uncomfortable at your Thanksgiving table when you gather in mixed company with believers and unbelievers because you're there and you realize how awkward this is. The unbeliever can even be there with some kind of loosely uh, uh, directed sort of ethereal sense of, of gratitude. But it's not the same. There was a time in our country's history where the national holiday like Thanksgiving made sense because people generally, culturally acknowledged a creator. They understood that they were creatures. They understood at some level that they, they had life and breath because there was a, a God outside of them who had been good to them and given them good things. All of that is very evident if you go back and read uh, our, the proclamations of our presidents. <clears throat> I would encourage you to do it if you've never done it. Look up President Washington's Declaration of Thanksgiving. Look up Lincoln's Declaration. You'd be amazed at the language coming from the White House. How odd and awkward it's become in our own day where Thanksgiving has been dumbed down to something like Turkey Day. Think of it. That's an offense. Don't use it. How offensive is it, beloved, to eat the bird that was thought of and created and given by the God of heaven for the sustenance of your life and to attribute the day to that stupid piece of meat on the table. Are you kidding? Oh, there's time for family and there's time for leisure and there's time for football, but there is very little time for thought to God. And in a day that ought to be spent with reflection on Good Friday, we're given to anticipation of Black Friday. And the day has become something short of what it should be. But may it never be in our homes. And may it never be in this church. And may it never be among God's people. You see, the perplexity for the unsaved man, for the man who does not acknowledge God, is where there may be some measure of gladness and gratitude in the heart. He has no idea where to direct his thanks. President Biden... did not invoke the name of God at all in his Thanksgiving proclamation, in the footsteps of his predecessor, President Obama. They just left the name of God out of the proclamation altogether. And President Biden said that the purpose of our national holiday, get this, quote, is to honor the blessings of our country. My friends, blessings are not to be honored. It's the blesser who is to be honored. 
To whom does the modern man give thanks? Think of the conundrum they're in. Thanks, thanks to who? The perplexity of it. Do I give thanks to chance? Do I give thanks to my lucky stars? Do I praise Lady Luck, Mother Earth? Do I launch this thing into thin air? It's very odd to think about being grateful in general to nobody in particular. You see, gratitude in the heart begs for a giver, a benevolent someone to whom we can offer thanksgiving. And whereas the world is marked by forgetfulness of God and taking God's goodness for granted, the distinguishing mark, the very mark of God's people is that we receive the goodness of God and we're filled with gratitude. We swell with it and we express it to him. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. There is a giver to whom we give thanks, and we have countless things to be thankful for, but before we get to those things, we must add another word to our sentence. There is a third principle. We give thanks. We give thanks to God. We give thanks to God together. We give thanks to God together. This is the point that we've been making over and over again as we've studied the book of Acts. The emphasis, not upon the individual, but upon the corporate people of God. There is an emphasis upon the corporate nature of the Christian life. This is so difficult for us as Americans, and yet we must learn it, beloved, because this is the will of God. It is not merely about your personal relationship with Jesus. It, it is also about God's purpose for you in and among his people. God is saving out a people for himself. And Jesus gave his life for you. That is definitely true. But the Bible speaks more often about the fact that Christ shed his blood for his people. He is saving out a holy nation, a kingdom of priests, He's saving out a people for himself, and, or for himself, and we need to be thinking in light of this. Jesus gave his life, husbands, for his bride, right? His people, the church. You have been saved, says the Bible, out of one family, that is the devil, and you have been adopted into another, that is Christ's. He has saved you out of the world, but while saving you out of the world, he has saved you into the church. And we can see this corporate emphasis in this psalm. Look down at it again. Thanksgiving is something we are called to do together. Look at the language. Verse 1, as I already mentioned, is this universal summons to all the earth. It is a call to worldwide worship. It is beckoning the whole of the created order, all the earth, to bow before its maker. And David is no dummy. He's well aware of the nature of the world. And so as he writes this, he's beckoning the world to come and to worship and to give thanks as is right for every man, woman, and child who's ever lived on this planet. Because everything has been derived 
from God. I believe David is also anticipating a day when this will be fulfilled and all the world will in fact come. The nations will come as they have hoped in Christ and been welcomed into the family of God. Look at verse three. It is he who has made what? Us. And not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. It's all plural. His faithfulness is from what? Generation to generation. Do you see the the familial nature of all of this? There are seven commandments, as I've told you, in this psalm, and every last one of them is given to the people of God as a plural. Let me ask you, is David aware that he has a personal relationship with the Lord? Yes. Very plainly aware of that. But he understands that God saved him alongside of a whole host of others. He is part of a larger number. He is one of the redeemed of God. And so he calls on the redeemed, his brothers and sisters, to come before God, to enter his gates, to enter his courts with praise. The whole focus is upon corporate worship in the temple. And this is the way it is for you and for me in the church. We are part of a family. We are part of God's household. We are a body comprised of many members. We are a temple built out of living stones. Do you remember when Jesus said, tear down this temple and I will raise it up in three days. Christ identified himself as the very place where men would meet with God to worship. Well, we read in Ephesians 2, 21 and 22, that we as God's people together are a holy temple in the Lord in whom we are being built together into the dwelling of God in the Spirit. Do you see it? We are his church. We are his dwelling in Christ and therefore this is the very place and among the very people to whom we corporately give thanks to the goodness of our God. 1 Peter 2.5 depicts individual believers as stones comprising a great temple. He says, you also as living stones are being built up into a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices. That's a reference again to that gratitude of heart and that zeal of service to the Lord which is acceptable to him through Jesus Christ. You see, the church is the meeting place of God, not the building, but his people. And God dwells with us through our relationship, our union with Christ. And when we gather, wherever that is and whenever that is, there is to be some some public and very obvious thanksgiving. There's there's something, isn't there, that's, that's marvelous and something empowering. Do you pray better alone or when you're with other brothers in Christ? Do you sing better alone or when you hear others in the choir around you singing? You see, this is bigger than you or me. David could have just dropped his pen and gone up to the temple by himself to give praise. Does that make sense? But that's not what he wanted to do. He wanted the people of God to enjoin him and, and go up together. 
Beloved, this is bigger than you or me. This is about one people with one heart and one voice declaring the wonder of the one and only God. You have been called into a choir. You are not a soloist. There's one last phrase we need to add to our summary sentence. We give thanks to God together for all that he is and all that he's done. For all that he is and all that he's done. This psalm, in fact, can be really easily outlined. There is a call to praise that takes place in verses 1, 2, and 4. David is calling us to praise, right? Make a loud shout to Yahweh. All the earth, serve Yahweh with gladness. Come before him. Skip down to verse 4. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. He's he's beckoning us. It's a call to praise. And then in verses 3 and 5, he gives us the content or the cause for that praise. What it is specifically that we are to praise him for. And you really could summarize it all by saying that we are to give thanks to God for his name. That is, all that he is by nature, his attributes, his character, and for all the things that he's done, his kindness, his mercy, his saving grace, every blessing that we've received. Somebody put it this way, we're, we're, we're to seek God's face. That's his nature, his person, his character. And we are to seek God's hand. That is what he gives and what he does. That's another way of thinking through this. Both of these are cause for praise. That's why he says, we're told in verse 4, to give thanks to him, bless his name. All that he is, all that he does. Now, why should we give thanks? Well, let's quickly look at that in in verses uh, 3 and 5. First of all, he says this. We come to our seventh imperative of the passage, and here it is. Know. We are to know. We are to know that Yahweh, he is God. He alone is God. I think what David is saying here is you need to sit down and slow down and you need to not charge into your prayer and your thanksgiving mindlessly. Instead, slow down and contemplate who it is that you are coming to and why you're coming to him. And I do want to add this just as a sidelight before we move on to the specifics, you'll note in this psalm, David makes not one request of God in the whole thing. It's not wrong to ask God for things. In fact, we're commanded to ask God for things. There's a time we have real needs and they need to be poured out into the the Lord's lap and he loves to care for us and to meet our needs. There's no question about it. But every once in a while, every so often, we should do the same. We should resist, at least occasionally, charging in with everything that we need like we're two years old. You're mature in Christ. Come in with your heart full of gratitude and and just exalt him for all that he is and all that he's done. David really is calling us to take inventory, to reflect, and to recall two things. And here they are. One, that God is God, and two, that God is good. That God is God, verse 3, and that God is good, verse 5. Let's look at verse 3. Know that Yahweh, he is God. 
There you go. That's simple enough. Know that Yahweh, he is God, and it is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. He points out that God is God, and particularly here in this passage, he is referenced as our creator. He is the one who has made us and not we ourselves. Again, let that sink in. God has made everything. God spoke it into existence. You try that sometime, you'll realize that God is God and you are not. He is the rightful and exclusive owner of every single thing on the planet. Everything. Even the devil is God's devil. Everything is his. Evolution is a lie. The Big Bang is a lie. The thought that you were a self-made man, that's a lie. You are no random accidental occurrence. The text tells us with crystal clarity that he made us. Listen to Paul in front of the pagans in Acts 17. He says the God... I'm going to tell you who the unknown God is. He says, the the God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things, He has made from one man every nation of mankind to inhabit all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation, that they would seek God if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and exist. Now that is not just true for those who acknowledge God and give thanks to God and worship God through Jesus Christ. That's true for everyone who says they don't believe in God. Every breath, beloved, you've ever taken, gift of God. Everything you've ever eaten, gift of God. Well, except asparagus. But you get the idea. Kidding, I love it. Everything. Every, every dollar you've ever earned, your home, your bed, your pillow, your fridge, your sink, your skateboard, your car, your good health, your beating heart, your ability to speak, your ability to hear, your ability to see. I could go on infinitely in the praises of God for all of his goodness. Do we live this way? All that we should. He has made us. Every river is his and every cloud is his, every vegetable, every animal, every angel, every demon, every person, every planet, every galaxy, every atom, everything, all of it exists by him and all of it, get this, exists for him. 
which is why not giving thanks is such a sin. God is not at all a killjoy. He is the one who dumps out his abundance even upon those who don't acknowledge him. The crime is in receiving all of that good stuff and giving no thanks. You see, it was made by him, but it was made for him. And that's why every good gift is to be received with joy and gratitude. He owes us nothing. We owe him literally everything. He is glorious and majestic. He is eternal. He is everlasting. He is mighty. He is unweary. He needs no sleep. He's holy. He's faithful. And he's a whole host of other things that, that we are not. And we are therefore accountable to him. We are not our own. We have been created by him and for him. We've been bought with a price. That is the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the source of every good thing. And so we give thanks. Secondly, the text tells us that he is our shepherd, not only our creator, but God is our shepherd. That is to say that he's not just our creator, but he's our caregiver. He is the one who who leads his people forward. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. We follow him. He provides for us. He protects us. He guides us. We have no want David in Psalm 23, he makes us to lie down in green pastures. He leads us beside quiet waters. He restores our souls. Beloved, above all of that, by his grace and the exertion of his will, we have come to know Christ who is the good shepherd who lays his life down for the sheep. How much more thankful should we as believers be? He is the one who saves us. He is the one who keeps us. He is the one who will deliver us in the end. And so we give thanks. So why do we give thanks to him? Why do we bless his name? Because he's God. Secondly, because he's good. Look at verse 5. For Yahweh is good. He is God and he is good. His loving kindness endures forever. His faithfulness generation to generation. He is the source of every good thing and every perfect gift. James 1.17. Psalm 103, if you want to just skip over there. The whole psalm is given to praise of God for all of his goodness. We'll just take the first five verses. Bless Yahweh, oh my soul, and all that is within me. Again, this is no half-hearted deal. Bless his holy name. Bless Yahweh, oh my soul, and forget none of his benefits. Who pardons all your iniquities? Who heals all your diseases? Who redeems your life? from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. Oh, we've known it. Ephesians 1.3, have we not been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ we have? Hasn't he foreknown you before the foundation of the world in love? Hasn't he predestined you to adoption? Hasn't he called you to salvation? Hasn't he justified you by the blood of Christ and by his grace? And hasn't he even, so secure is our salvation, glorified us with Christ forever and ever? 
He has. Hasn't he met every need every month, every year for decades? Nobody in here is in debtor's prison and nobody is wasting away from hunger. I have never seen the righteous forsaken. Have you? Who can account for all the goodness of our gracious God? There is always plenty of fodder for grateful praise. Jerry Bridges sums it up this way. Thankfulness to God is a recognition that God in his goodness and faithfulness has provided for us, cared for us, both physically and spiritually. It is the recognition that we are totally dependent upon him, that all that we are and all that we have comes from God, end quote. And beloved, here's, here, here's, here's what's so incredible about this psalm. David says, you know, I'm thinking back on my life here and I realize all of God's goodness to me. And his closing, his closing sentence, his closing line, his heart leaps and he says, you know, not, not only has God been good in days past, but he's gonna continue to work all things together for good to those of us who love him. Why? Because he's made promises to us to bless us and he's faithful in his covenant love to do all that he said, not only to you, but to all who hope in Christ from one generation to the next. Look at the last line. His loving kindness endures how long? Forever. And his faithfulness, how long? From one generation to the next generation to the next generation Nothing, beloved, can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Make a loud shout to Yahweh, all the earth, and serve Yahweh with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that he is Yahweh. He is God. It is he who has made us, not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with praise. End with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For Yahweh is good. His loving kindness endures forever. And his faithfulness generation to generation. Amen. Let's stand together and sing our praises to our great God. Invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen. amen. God bless you.